Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. We've covered several notable historical figures that have made their way to Lexington on this podcast, including the Marquis de Lafayette and Charles Dickens. Well, on today's episode, we are going to take a turn and discuss someone that committed the first assassination of a U.S. president, John Wilkes Booth. Who was John Wilkes Booth, and what contributed to his hatred of Abraham Lincoln and the idea of a unified United States of America, one that was on the path to abolish slavery? Here with us today is my colleague, David Bryant, to give us a bit of a background on John Wilkes Booth and discuss his visit to Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, David. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us for this particular podcast. Let's start off at the very beginning, as Julie Anders says. Where was John Wilkes Booth born and where did he come from? Okay, thanks, Miriam. John Wilkes Booth was born May 10th, 1838, into a large, accomplished family of actors. He was the ninth of ten children. Aside from his father's bouts of depression and alcoholism, John Wilkes lived a mostly stable childhood in the Maryland countryside. His father, Junius Brutus Booth, had moved to the state of Maryland with his mistress, Mary Ann Holmes, in 1821, leaving behind a wife and a child in England. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> Already an accomplished actor in England, Junius became the most prominent actor in America within a year of moving here. John Wilkes's brother, Edwin Booth, was also a noted actor who many theater historians considered the greatest actor of the 19th century. And then finally, his sister, Asia, though she wasn't an actor, was a writer and a poet. Okay, so they're all involved in the theater and Writing, the arts yes, and all that. Yes, yeah. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what plays he participated in and what, what did he accomplish in his artistic career? Okay, so he was an accomplished actor. I mean, he followed the steps of his father and he made his acting debut in 1855. He didn't have early success, but he practiced his craft, vowing to honor his family name. And in 1857, he spent his first theatrical season at the Arch Street Theater in Philadelphia. He made $8 a week. He performed six days a week as a stock performer in shows and roles that changed nightly. Initially, he didn't receive critical acclaim in Philadelphia, and he never really grew to love performing there. So after the summer of 1858, he moved to Richmond, Virginia, where he received much better parts and recognition, and he became a superstar of the Richmond stage, and he made $20 a week. He developed an exaggerated acting style and aggressive physicality on stage that captivated his audiences. Um, he was known for striking good looks, and he was often referred to as the most attractive man in America. And he also developed quite a reputation as a womanizer. Okay. <laughs> he had countless romantic encounters with famous co-stars and high-class prostitutes in cities where he performed. Nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> women were often waiting at the stage door to catch glimpses of him. And one interesting story I read in 1860, a fan in Richmond, Virginia, a Miss Beckett, cut off her hair and gave it to Booth before she died of typhus. Wow, that's and, devotion. Yes. Goodness. And Booth reportedly turned the hair into a stage wig that he used for the remainder of his career. And then to answer specifically your question about the roles he played, he was 
kind of ironically known for playing villainous characters and, oh, wow. and Shakespearean tragedies, mm-hmm. uh, like Richard III and Julius Caesar. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of foreshadowing. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely foreshadowing. So how did he get involved with the Confederacy and very pro-slavery ideologies and Well, it was also during his time in Richmond that he developed his love for the American South. And I think part of that is because he had so much acceptance there and theater was very popular in the South. And that was where he became a loyal supporter of the Confederacy and an ardent white supremacist. And there's a letter that he wrote to his brother-in-law from November 1864, where he really shows his fanatical ideas. And I'll just read a short passage from it. Booth stated, This country was formed for the white, not for the black man. And looking upon African slavery from the same standpoint as held by those noble framers of our Constitution, I, for one, have ever considered it one of the greatest blessings, both for themselves and us, that God ever bestowed upon a favored nation. Wow. Yeah. So it's like white supremacy to the nth degree. Like, I yeah, mean, he was all in. Yeah, he, and it continued. Yeah, until the very Goodness. end. <laughs> Goodness. Um, so the the title of our podcast was about his visit to Lexington. Mm-hmm. What brought him to our illustrious city? <laughs> well, you know, Booth's reputation and performance demands continue to grow. Being an actor gave him the ability to cross between North and South, and he toured extensively. Including Lexington, some of the cities he performed in were Baltimore, Boston, Philadelphia, Columbus, Detroit, Louisville, New Orleans, many others. It's also believed that this mobility allowed Booth to serve as a spy for the Confederate Secret Service. And in her memoir, his sister Asia described uh, her brother as, quote, a spy, a blockade runner, and a rebel. Wow. Yeah. So she has a memoir. Yes, she does. Um, So we know from newspaper records that Booth performed in Lexington, Kentucky on October 23rd and 24th. in 1862. And that was at the original Lexington Opera House, which was near the corner of Main and Broadway. And it was also known as Oddfellows Hall. So not the current... Not the current building. That we... we Yeah, not the current Opera House. He performed two of his most notable roles, and that was Richard III and as Charles Demore in a play called The Robbers. Not a lot is known about his performances or the time that he spent in Lexington. Of course, this was during the Civil War. Newspapers were disrupted. Travel was difficult for actors. But theater performances did provide relief to the city where, you know, families were torn apart by the Civil War. Especially in Lexington here. Yes. There was one account from the Lexington Observer and Reporter from that time. And the reviewer said the elite theater goers were thrilled by the first appearance of the greatest tragedian of the age, Mr. John Wilkes Booth. And by this time, he's been acting for quite a while. So yeah. very established and well-known. Yeah, he was an established actor by that point. Very popular. People were probably 
excited to see him perform. He probably had lots of women waiting at the <laughs> stage door to see him. Like I said, we don't really know that much about his time here. He probably would have stayed at the Phoenix Hotel, like many actors traveling through town did. It's kind of interesting to speculate about things that he may have done. He could have walked by Mary Todd Lincoln's house. <laughs> How interesting it, would that possible, be? It's yeah. possible, you know. And so that brings us to another interesting, though rather um, suspect connection that he may have had with Lexington. So, like so many other villainous figures in history, Booth is subject to speculation and conspiracy theories related to his death. In this case, being that he was not shot in a barn in Virginia, as the story goes, but that he actually escaped and lived for decades and lived part part of that time in Lexington. The accepted story about John Wilkes Booth is that after shooting Lincoln, he leapt from the theater box onto the stage shouting Six Sipper Tyrannis, um, Latin for thus always to tyrants, then fleeing the theater on horseback, traveling through Maryland and Virginia, eventually meeting his demise in a barn on Garrett's farm in Virginia, where he was shot by soldier Boston Corbett. That would be the end of the story, but members of Booth's family have maintained that he actually did not die, and they believe that he escaped and lived for decades. One theory is that he stole the identity of an Englishman and lived in India under an alias for the rest of his life. <laughs> Another theory is that he settled in Enid, Oklahoma, under the assumed name David E. George, for which that name could be a code combining the names of two of his conspirators in the assassination, combining David Harold and George E. Atzerott. So that brings us finally to the Lexington connection, because upon the death of David E. George, also known as John Wilkes Booth, in 1903, a story ran in the Lexington Leader about a Colonel Edmund Levin of Enid, Oklahoma, who claims to have been Booth's roommate in the winter of 1868 in Lexington. And so in the Lexington Leader, June 8th, 1903, the headline reads, Lived in Lexington, former American in Mexico says Booth roomed with him in this city. The story relative to the death at Enid, Oklahoma, of the man claiming to be J. Wilkes Booth, receives additional confirmation from Colonel Edmund Levin, a prominent American resident of this city, who says that he knew the man well. According to Colonel Levin's story, Booth was his roommate for more than six weeks during the winter of 1868 in Lexington, Kentucky. During the interval, the two became quite friendly, and Colonel Levin openly declared to his companion that he knew he was the man who assassinated President Lincoln. Booth did not deny the allegation, but shortly afterward left Lexington and went to Pittsburgh, where he later became identified with a wholesale machinery house in that city. Sometime after that, he settled at Village Mills, Texas, after going to Glenrose Mills and finally making his way to the Indian Territory, where he resided at the time he committed suicide. Colonel Levin says that when Booth lived with him, he went under the name of J.J. Marr. And at that time, he was practicing law. So, so became an actor for life, like yes, just to kind of yes, completely new person. As looked, the conspiracy theory, yes. So <laughs> I looked in other records. I couldn't find any additional information about a J.J. Marr in Lexington or John Wilkes Booth in Lexington. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's, to me, considering Booth's narcissistic desire to always steal the scene on stage and in life, it seems unlikely to me that Booth could live the remainder of his life in anonymity. It defies what I would think would be probable (laughs) in that case. (laughs) He seemed like he'd like the, all the adoration, and Uh I I highly doubt that he would go into hiding. Yeah, and to me, it's also ironic that when Booth was younger, and he vowed to improve his acting because he didn't want to shame his family's honor, he went on to be one of the most infamous figures (laughs) in history, definitely shaming the honor (laughs) of his family. I mean, he gave us the first assassination in U.S. history of of a president, of a U.S. president, at least. But yeah, Um, yeah, that's not something that a family would be... Proud of, proud of, to say the least. <laughs> so it's one of those footnotes in the history of the city that he, yeah. you know, performed here. We don't know a lot about his time here, and but it is it's interesting to know that he was here and just to speculate on what he may have done exactly while he was exactly. here. And if the conspiracy theory holds true, what brought him back <laughs> to Lexington? Goodness gracious! Well, thank you so much, David, for the research for the podcast and we hope you come back and and do another episode with us. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.